Hey there, we at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it for the win. Welcome back to Dunks and Discourse, Episode 7. I'll be joined, as always, by my co-host Jabari Davis, and we are going to break down The Last Dance, Episodes 3 and 4, talk about the 10-part basketball documentaries that you were interested in based on uh, the forms we, uh, the results we got in the Google form, and then we're going to talk about Amazon Prime's Hunters. Jabari, how are you doing, man? Not bad, not bad. You know what, to be honest with you, just as excited as, as I was last week, because this, this documentary is, is everything right now. It's, it literally is everything right now, but it's, it's, it's everything for me. Yeah, I, I was feeling the literal tonight. I, I was not as um, invested in, mm-hmm. in the last two episodes as I was in the first two, and I'm, I'm not sure I'm digging the tone specifically set in the, in the fourth episode, which is kind of that the Bulls were the, the underdog um, heading, <laughs> heading into 98. But we'll get to that. So let's start at the top. Um, I, I think the key idea of the, of the first episode tonight was losing to the Pistons. Um, mm-hmm. we, get, we get the fun uh, backstory on Dennis Rodman. We get uh, kind of the coaching tree. Uh, we get the Doug Collins-Michael Jordan relationship. And then ultimately Doug getting ousted out in uh, episode four. But uh, what were your initial thoughts from the, these two episodes? Yeah, I was really happy that they showed that background on the on the Pistons rivalry specifically because it makes it that much you know, crazier and uh, you know that much more you know uh, significant that Jordan and Pippen and those guys were willing to you know uh, embrace you know <laughs> embrace the signing of Rodman with open arms. Now, of course, of, of course, you know the smart thing to do would be to be able to bring him in there, but. As you saw in you know, in tonight's episode, it is particularly in episode was it episode four, um, or no, excuse me, episode three. Uh, yeah, that that was serious. That was really and truly bad blood. And you know, like and, and to that point, Mike very clearly still hates Zeke to this day, and I'm here for it. Yeah, I like it too. Honestly, I'm, I'm glad it's not fake. But there's a lot of going back and forth. Is he the ultimate competitor? Is he a classy sportsman? Um, were they the underdogs? Were they the overdogs? And and we'll talk about this because I'm just going to add some context that obviously the doc didn't because they're selling you on, on the greatness. But we'll, we'll get there. I want to talk a little bit about um, sort, sort of the culture of that rivalry. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I did find myself in episode three specifically wishing that that existed in today today's game. It, it, it would yeah. be as much as like KG and Paul and those guys didn't really like the heat. I, I don't feel like LeBron hates them, you know. Like I, I, I've never really got that back. It would, it would be more fun if Steph Curry and LeBron absolutely hated each other. It would be more fun if Kevin Durant and whoever LeBron Curry Westbrook, he's got lots <laughs> of people he could pick, absolutely hate each other. And that's just not the case in today's game. And it's not like you know, it, it's not like hip hop or, you know, 
we don't want real feuds, but it, it was nice that they go out on the floor and they really wanted to hurt each other. And in the interviews, you know, 30 years later, they are still so bitter. Well, if we're being honest about it, a lot of it has to do with the way the game is played. You know, it, it's as simple as that. Like, we don't play, and I'm, I say we, I'm talking about today's NBA, does not play with anywhere near the sort of physical aggression and physical intensity. Now, obviously, the game is still physical. It's still, you know, it's still you know, assertive. They're still playing with energy. They're still playing with effort. But you saw it. You know, <laughs> fouls that were just considered common fouls. You know, you'd get kicked out of the game, and 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 we'd be, you know, the two of us would be sitting here whining on Twitter about, oh my God, the horror, <laughs> you know, like, and, and they were just regular fouls. They weren't even, they weren't even uh, technical fouls or ejections or you know, flagrants or you know, things of that nature. So I honestly think that plays into it. When you know, it, it's one thing to have a rivalry against guys, one thing, you know, because LeBron James clearly, you know, wants to beat you know Steph Curry and and, and vice versa. But it's a whole other thing when that man has been beating you down, slapping you in the face, you know, taking you out, and also knocking you out of the playoffs multiple, multiple years. I, I do think that, uh, you know, it, it, it lended itself to, you know, more bitter rivalries. Yeah, it did. And, and to be fair, like, there was something to this. And I think I think it made it more fun, and I, I think it was a great talking point. Um, but, like, Jordan and the Bulls never really beat the Rio Pistons. Well... I, I mean, and, 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 okay, and, they beat them later. Yeah, but they didn't though. Like they, they didn't beat. They didn't overcome, like the the best version of those Pistons. And it, it it's kind of hypocrisy. Like no one wants to talk about. Like Shaq didn't really beat Jordan in '95 when he only played like the 20 games or whatever. Mm-hmm. Even though he did, even though it was a second round of playoffs. But like you know, Isaiah missed half of the '91 season. The Pistons weren't the same. They lost Chuck Daly the next year. They didn't even make the playoffs two years after that. Like they, they weren't the same team. They weren't in their heyday at their peak when they the Bulls beat them in '91. Which, well, okay, but hold on. If we're if we're going to cherry pick those things, and, and you know, let's go back and forth a little bit on this. Is it is it is it cherry picking though? Yes, it is. Be and, and here's why. Because we could say the same thing for the you know the, the Pistons in 04. They didn't beat the real Lakers because they were at the end of that run. They were coming off of you know uh, three, you know three finals runs in in four years. They were very clearly uh, broken down. You know, Carl Malone was you know was you know was done physically. Gary Payton was done mentally. <laughs> you know, the, you know the, those guys were. You know what I mean? So, like, if you really want to sway that narrative, you could kind of do that with a lot. You know, with a lot of you know with a lot of uh, champions. And I don't want, I don't want to do that with this. I, I do want to. Like, I I do want to do that, and I would do that. Like the 04 Pistons, absolutely were fortunate that the, that the stars lined up. That Shaq wasn't wasn't all right. That Carl and Payton weren't in the fold in the way that you know the Lakers thought they would be. You know, and, and they played a great series and they won a title. I'm not taking that away from them. Just like I'm not taking the 91 title. Like, you're the champ, you're the champ. Mm-hmm. But the the Pistons that the, the Bulls couldn't get over weren't the Pistons that they saw in 91. And you and you could see that. You know, it, it's nice that, like, Michael got into the gym and he added 15 pounds and, you know, he was stronger. But they didn't get – that team wasn't getting swept. The Pistons they played the prior three years weren't getting swept. Oh. So I, I see your point, but the same thing could be said about those Pistons. They didn't get over the hump until the late 80s when, they, when their guys were primed and ready to go. When they had the right pieces around them and when those guys were in their primes, that's when they finally got over the hump. You know what I mean? Like so, it kind of it kind of goes that way across basketball. That's that's kind of how it always goes. You're you know you're the big dog until you're not, and then the next you know then the next one comes up and gets you. Even if it's at the end of your run, I you know me personally, I still give absolute credit. You took you, know, you in order to be the champ. This is cliche as all hell, but in order to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. And if you did that, you're the champ. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take anything yeah, away. Yeah, and again, I'm not I'm not taking that away either. I'm just saying like 
this this doc is all it, it's about glory, right? It's about the yeah. glorification of one player, and you know if a little shine gets on anyone else, great. But I'm just I'm just gonna throw it out there. Like, there's a reason that Jordan absolutely fucking hated them, and it wasn't because just because they were elbowing. It was because he couldn't get over the hump, mm-hmm. and uh, the stuff that he admitted, which was that he wasn't getting the coverage that he wanted. So mm-hmm. not unlike every other star today. The guys do read what's said about them, and they do oh, care. Absolutely. And he and he said, you know, he's like, I didn't get to be. I did find it very interesting that he said going into his first title that he was a you know about to be in the air of uh, Le, uh not LeBron, Le, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. And I was like, <laughs> on his first title, so on Jordan's first title, he gets to be compared to Magic and Larry Bird. But every time LeBron won one, he had to win four, five more, four more, three more, you know. So. Yeah, but you know what? What LeBron suffered from, we had already seen all of Jordan. We had already seen, we had already seen, you know, like like these guys, you know, great careers that, unfortunately, whether it was fair or not, he was going to be compared to, uh, whether it was an actual, whether there was an actual comparison there or not. Uh, so it, it's unfortunate, and and that's kind of why you know when we whenever we have these conversations, you know, kind of you know tying it together. Whenever we have these conversations, I'm always like, it's not fair to compare a guy that's in year five to a guy that we've seen his entire 15, 20 year, you know, like you know, uh, you know legacy, <laughs> you know, like that, that that sort of career. Um, so all of those conversations surrounding LeBron James, of course, they were unfair, and most of them were really stupid. You know what I'm saying? But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, I don't need LeBron to get to five or six titles for me to say, like, yeah, that's one of the greatest to ever do this, if not the greatest to ever do this. I don't need to see that. But I guess if you are, you know, if, you, if and I'm speaking generally, and I'm talking to you, but if you don't understand the game or you don't necessarily uh, believe in your ability to, you know, to, you know, to assess what you're seeing and you just go by numbers or you just go by what the, you know, common, uh, you know, narrative is, well, then, yeah, go for that. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things. I think it's interesting that the general perception around the league prior to Jordan winning was that as soon as he wins, he's in the greatest ever conversation. He was that nice. He was that nice. And and he, he was that nice. I, I'm, not, I'm not crapping mm-hmm. on him. I'm just, um, it's interesting. And like when he talks about, uh, I think three or four times in the four episodes, he's talked about Magic and Larry, Magic and Larry. There's no Kareem. There's no Wilt. There's no, uh, until I get as many championships as Russell, mm-hmm. I'm not going to. You know what? And, and I, it's interesting because, like, Ring's culture is very much built, I think, on the backs of his accomplishments and then specifically during, like, the Kobe era. And mm-hmm. and I'm not throwing that on Kobe. I'm I hear you. I'm not throwing that no, on it's Michael. True. It's, it's just, actually true. It's yeah. just interesting that, like, this the 15 years after, you know, 91, the way that sports is viewed has changed so different. And for, and for the worse. Because... It, they they got it right. Like Magic and Larry are watching Michael play, and they're like, he's as good as we were. Like he he's on that fucking level. And the second that he wins a title, you know, he can be on Mount Rushmore with us. Like we can have that conversation. Michael knew it. They knew it. And it, it, I don't know. I'm sounding like a little bit self righteous, but that's a more pure way to talk about sports. No, it absolutely is. And do you remember when we had this conversation about like you know, you, the magic? This is probably like a year and a half ago uh, when we first started potting together. We had a conversation about the, the legacy of Magic and Michael, and you know, like how the league was, you know, you know really took off, and you know how David Stern kind of like you know, very clearly hopped on their backs. You know, rest in peace, David Stern, of course, hopped on their backs, and then really rode you know the Mike train in order to globalize the game. But in particular, and, and I did mention this at that time, it was very specific. Stern changed the you know changed the way he packaged the game. 
Like when it you know, because it, it also came with the influx of Sports Center and like the highlight package and Mike, Mike you know obviously Mike's game was perfect for the Sports Center highlight for you know like you know to to lead the A block every single time he, he had a game it was perfect it really did go from when I was a kid it was of course yes they mentioned Larry and they mentioned Mike but it was or excuse me and they mentioned Magic but it was Magic Johnson and the Showtime Lakers and it was you know career the focus was on the team yes with a leader but the team. When Mike came in, it was, yo, you playing Mike tonight. And it was just that simple. Of course, they were, you know, like, you know, players respected the other guys. But the way it was packaged, the way it was presented to us, it was very, it was a very slight change. But I genuinely believe that was the start of us changing our opinions of how we, you know, how we approached these guys, how we looked at these guys, how we, how we looked at legacies. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, right? Like, as I'm watching this, there are parts of it I was really enjoying. And there's parts of it where I was like, oh, that's not the, that that's that's a shallow look at this. Or I wasn't mm-hmm. like thrilled with how certain things were portrayed. And, and and part of that's from the lens of someone who didn't live through that time yeah. and is a LeBron fan, admittedly. But mm-hmm. part of it was just like, yeah, this isn't, you know, when, when the conversation's getting skewed a, a certain way. But to your point about how Mike became the face of the league, more or less, um, two of the notes that I, that I had written down that I absolutely – just just loved this show was the one when Doug Collins was talking about media's asking what what'd you call a ball for that game winner <laughs> and he's like well, we call that give the ball to Michael get the fuck out of the way and <laughs> and um I mean one it's just an awesome quote awesome story but two um it was just hilarious because like my high school coach used to say the same thing he used to be like yeah, we, we, we can't just keep giving it to Josh and hoping he wins us the game. And uh, I'm not talking about myself. There was another Josh on the team who was a much oh, better player than I was. about to say, light flicks? Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> but but it, it is. And, I mean, as much you draw up all these plays and all these schemes and talk about all these stats and da-da-da-da, but at the end of the game, it really does. You know, the best player in the world, who you want to have the ball in their hands. So there was that one, and there was the quote that Sam – or the story that Sam Smith shared. Um about how you know there were three beat writers one picked because mm-hmm. back then first round was be, uh, best of five um he said one said three one said four one said five nobody picked the balls and michael walked across okay are right, we already stuck it to you stuck it to you and we're coming for you and that was a that was a great story too that is i'm so happy you mentioned that because i had that down as a note as well the truth of the matter is and and you actually just alluded to it just a, just a few moments ago these guys read their press if if twitter had been around at that time as much as we like to make fun of kevin durant as much as we like to make fun of dwight howard or some of these other guys for always checking their mentions and worrying about what people say about them I, I know you remember just a couple weeks ago when I said all these guys do. It isn't just those guys. They just happen to be the you know like the, the fools that you know that got caught up doing it. Mike would have been reading Twitter. He would have been reading his mentions. He would have been doing all of that stuff. He would have been smarter about it and probably a lot hell of a lot cooler about it. And he and he definitely wouldn't have got caught up with a burner. <laughs> well, then again, some of those late nights in uh, in Atlantic City, you know, maybe he would have. But no, um, I, I think. But I I, br- I bring all that up to say, you know, exactly. He read those. He uh, he read that. You know, uh, you know the, the, what all the reporters said, and it meant something to him. It mattered to him, and he wanted to show them the same way that these players today do. Yeah, and there's like there's there's so many great moments in the show, and like uh, the the Ron Harper quote. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I didn't write it down, but basically Jordan being like, "Yeah, Elo shouldn't have been on me because Harper played me better." And they asked Harper, and he was like, "Yeah, that was a mistake, just giving it to his own teammate." Um, that was a good good moment he, he, too. He, he literally said like, "Oh, word!" Like basically, like, "Word." Well, whatever. Fuck yeah. It. <laughs> 
Everybody, like, okay, let's be honest. What was that coach thinking? You have one play left. Very clearly, Ron Harper was the, you know, what was the better physical matchup for Jordan, especially at that time. Why is he putting Craig Eagle on him? Yeah, you you got done dirty in this uh, in this doc, and and in that moment. But it's it just it's funny in that in history he's always going to be a, a doormat now because of that one play. And it sucks even worse because like, and I'm sure you saw it. He was the guy that you know that drove you know drove past the guys on the perimeter and scored with only a second left on the other side. He went from hero to he went he went from hero to you know. A moment, uh, you know, a, a figure in history in just, you know, just a span of about 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. Um, aside from the, the coaching and uh, the Pistons, like, let's, uh, so we talked Rodman a little bit. The Vegas story, I had heard that he had a vacation. I did not know some of the details. And the quote from uh, uh, Phil's, Phil's telling Rodman he's got to run through, like he's got to, he's got to get the muscle memory. And, and uh, Jordan's like, you got his body here. Don't beg for too much. Mm-hmm. Something that was great too. Um, it really, you know, you, you know what this doc has done. It was funny is you know, Jordan came, you know, came out saying, you know, people are gonna you know not like me or think I'm a bad guy or think I'm a mean person. Really, what this documentary has done is it's humanized him. You know, because like we had, we deified Jordan so long ago that he hasn't been a real actual person to any of us for you know outside of just being the crying Jordan meme and you know somebody to point out and say hey, look at that mustache or like look at his dad jeans and all that stuff. Mike hasn't been a real person to us and you know in so long. So it's really good to see this behind the scenes stuff for me. You know, the good and the bad. Yeah, and I agree with that to some extent. Like I I, I do think. The anecdotes and like getting to see him open up a bit has been awesome mm-hmm. because he he's tough like he's tough to get out for things. Yeah. Um, even when Kobe passed, I wasn't sure like what his level of involvement would be publicly mm-hmm. because he's just not someone who generally entertains a lot of this. But I do think it's still ultimately like he he and his people had their hand on the stock, and I I, I think it, yeah. it, it you know like it, it's not a objective look at him and I think you know I was crazy for hoping that it might have been but it, also he is he's such a deity there's nothing he could do where um, if he shook their hands if he didn't shake their hands if he said fuck them motherfuckers he's an mm-hmm. asshole uh, they were the greatest like there's nothing he could have he could have taken any side on any moment in this doc and people would have praised him for it um, yes. I, I did like the story like the dude's a nut though and yes. like something that people aren't talking about enough like this guy Doug Collins runs a practice Jordan feels like the score wasn't right and leaves practice in a huff and like doesn't talk to anyone just like peels out of there like imagine being like the mvp of the league and it's a practice and it doesn't matter and it's a scrimmage and and you're that competitive it was almost like the contrast of that moment like this man took off a took out ripped out a scrimmage because he wasn't happy with the, the practice score and then after immediately getting iced by the Pistons, he just was so calm and like professional in that interview. It, it, that was weird, almost. Mike is a sociopath, man. Like, like <laughs> we talked about this after episode one and two. Mike's a sociopath, and I really hope they show more of it in these upcoming episodes. Even though I, you know, obviously they're going to show the situation with the dad, and, and I'm looking forward to that. And I'm sure you're going to ask what you know what I'm looking forward to in the next couple episodes. I really hope they get to more of his psychopath's you know behavior because because I'm you know hey look it's a part of the story. It's absolutely a part of the story. It's a part of what, you know, kind of led to us, you know, seeing him in this, you know, seeing him at the level that, you know, we see him as. So. Yeah, fair enough. And I I mean, again, it is, it is, it has been very enjoyable as much as like a little things bug me here and there. It's been nice to like Sundays. 
I know everybody's watching the same thing. There's like this feeling of community, even though none of us are together watching this doc. Mm-hmm. I'm not like trying to be like touchy feely hippie Phil Jackson corny, but huh. it, it is nice vibes. Ch- chill on your acid trip over there. No, no. All, all jokes aside, it absolutely is, and it, it's it's nice to have like appointment television again. Considering you know we we've been waiting for something new. Uh, while I'm going to wait in order to you know fully judge the doc until we you know see it you know see it it, it in its entirety, uh, I'm very happy you know along the way. Yeah, I'm excited to see. I I hope we spend like it looks like the way that they're doing this, they're kind of like progressing through the '98 season, and then they're flashing back through the years. And it'll be. I, I hope we get some minutes with like Gary Payton and Charles Barkley. And oh yeah, Malone. I get this. I, I like the commentary about the league at that time. I think that's one of the more interesting parts to me. Um, I did think it was like Isaiah Thomas clearly like doesn't like Michael. Michael doesn't like Isaiah. And that was made clear in the interview. And then I was like, why would Isaiah even do this? I was like, why? Like this doc that clearly glorifies Michael at a little bit of his expense. And, um, you know, there was he, he was going to be the villain. Michael has to be the hero. And hasn't he had enough of this? And then I thought... If he said no to the interview, that would have got leaked, and yep. that would have been almost worse. That, not only that, like I, I know we all kind of like you know look at Zeke and like you know, will laugh at some of the stuff from the past or laugh at you know some of the you know exploits you know his post career and whatnot. But the truth of the matter is, Zeke is pretty good when it comes to like you know paying respect to the you know to not only his contemporaries but the you know today's current players. Like I, I like not to be that guy, but Zeke is actually <laughs> Zeke is actually one of the figures that I I truly like in, in his post career. Interesting, interesting. Pay, honestly, pay pay attention to him when you know, when he's when he's speaking on 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 today's player he the players he's not that you know he's not that you know that you know curmudgeon that's like oh man you know in my day I would have done this he's he he's he's a lot closer to Iverson than he is to you know. How say Oscar Robertson was like say three four years ago. You know, he he's yeah. come around of late as well. But remember how he was about three four years sure. ago. He was kind of leading that pack. Yeah, no, I'm glad you clarified. That. I get I get where you come from. He he is he's a fan of the game. Yeah, and and he appreciates what the guys are doing for sure. Yeah. And Oscar, yeah, Oscar went for like Kareem and Dirk within a two week period. Has been dead to me ever since. So <laughs> uh, it happens. Yeah, um, I'm trying I'm trying to think of us. What are there any other highlights we should chop up? Uh, I mean, you know, really, I like, I really like how they've gotten even deeper on Scotty. You know, even showing, I totally forgot about the migraine game. I totally forgotten about. That. Oh, and yeah, I haven't known about that here too. I love look as and Bomani made a point about this. He's like, as much as even thirty years later, you could tell Mike, you know, genuinely believes that that he had a migraine. He doesn't have any time for any of that. He doesn't want to hear any of that. And I, I saw that same where it was like, I'm trying to be understanding. I'm trying to be, you know, okay, Mike, be a good person. Mike could be a good person. But there was still that disdain like, yeah, man, yeah, you said he had a migraine. <laughs> yeah, I, I could feel it. I could yes. feel that either it was a second take where they told mm-hmm. Mike to be more politically correct <laughs> or he was biting his tongue oh, yeah. because he, he wanted to be like, Scotty was a pussy and I can't believe he didn't hack it that, yeah. through that game. Like, and it, yeah, Mike you wanted, could, to, you say, could Mike wanted to say I had the I had the worst hangover of all time just a couple years later, and I played through it. How is he? How come he couldn't get through one? Yeah, you you could feel it, and but I did too. And I also like I mean we only got like a what thirty second roll, but watching Pippin Hound Magic, and I know mm-hmm. 
we're talking about the Pistons. The, the Lakers weren't the same mm-hmm. in, in 91 either. But but watching Pippen hound magic was pretty phenomenal. What it was, and I watched it in real time. I was, I think, 12 or 13 years old. I watched it and said, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> like, it, it, you, you know how it is. It, you know, say it's like, you know, whether you're, you know, you've always played your older brother or you always played your dad. And then all of a sudden, the you know, like the younger brother can beat everybody. It, it's basically like, yeah, well, you know, once they got over that hump, it, it just wasn't going to happen. You yeah. know, mag- magic in '85 would have, you know, would I still I think would have given you know Pippen you know as just as many fits as Pippen gave him. Magic in '91 that wasn't gonna happen. Yeah, and I mean, like I had to look at exactly like what Pippen's stats were in that finals, but it's, it's impressive. It was like 29 and six, two steals a game, and you're ding up Magic Johnson. Yeah, and you're giving Magic Johnson the work like that. Initiating and initiating the offense on the other end, and 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 hiding Jordan. You know, yeah, never mind. Let, yeah. <laughs> It's hell, hell of a finals. Yeah, I mean that, that's just the little things too. Where like, that's that's the stuff I was talking about with the perimeter defender stuff with Jordan in the past. Where I was like, I've watched all six finals. Like I made it through these games, and there's not they're not. I'm not gonna say they're hiding him, but Pippen's just better and he's bigger. So like, yeah, why I, wouldn't you? You use don't him? mean a jerk when I say hiding. No, him. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like that's one of those things where I was like, no, you can't be the top five perimeter defenders ever. You didn't even have to to do that. You didn't have to guard the best guy because you Pippen. Um, but yeah, let's let, let's let's transition. So, right. as part of our last um, last dance kind of coverage thought process, we kind of started to chop up like what would some cool documentaries be that would be like equal or not quite. We couldn't do equal because Mike is Mike, but but yeah. would be a huge draw that we could have this community television and that like people would want to sit down and watch ten episodes. So we had a ton of people fill this out, which is awesome. And I basically asked. Um, here are some ideas that you and I kind of brainstormed in the past, and I added a few And as we went. Um, on a scale of 1 to 100, 100 being like you would binge all 10 episodes immediately the second they dropped, and 1 being like there's zero chance you would ever watch these, <laughs> even in a quarantine if you'd watched everything else. Yeah. Um, what's your interest level? So I, I think there was uh, let me, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. So there's 10 different ideas. I'm going to read them. Um, in the order of the least interested uh, people in our, are in them and to the most interested, and we'll just chop it up for a sec. So coming in last place, did I mean, you did this form. Do you have a guess on what came last? Uh, it was either probably the Trust of Process or the San Antonio Greatness Under Pop and, and, and Duncan. And I'm not saying that's what it should be, but that's what I'm guessing. Yeah, trust. I, you know what? Like Philly has this huge, loud following, mm-hmm. but my Lord, people do not want to watch a documentary series on Hinky and the Trust the Process Sixers. Not There's a like, order. No. 42.3 was the average vote on this guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think the 10-parter is the thing because I would absolutely watch like a 30 for 30. I'd, yeah. I, I'd watch an hour on this. Yeah. Um, but 10 hours might be too much. Yeah, maybe even an hour and change, and because there there are a lot of different angles you you, know, you can take this, and you can even you can even spin it and try to make yo know, hinky into the you know, the the the, you know, the martyr that you know that, that that really should have been respected and appreciated you know, a lot more during this time. But I'm not going to sit through you know multiple episodes for that. I, you would have a lot of people interview though. Yeah, yeah. You had a lot of, a lot of people sporting Sixers jerseys over those years, so. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of uh, you know, of those top picks that didn't pan out too, but you know, we don't have to we don't have to pile on them. True, true, true. Um, 
04, the next one was the 2004 Olympics. And I, I feel like this is compromised because I've got a ton of American followers. And this would be great, man. The 2004 Olympics in Athens would be great to look back on. Like that, that That's a big deal. When, when Team USA doesn't show out in basketball and things fall apart and like everyone loves Manu, like it, it would be great to look back on that. I'm, I'm stand, sticking with it. It would be great to look back on it, but I'm gonna keep it real with you. That actually should have been the late. That should have been the last one. Oh, um, boom! Yeah, yeah, look, look, look. It, it, it's it's 100 a potentially very entertaining 30 for 30. There's no chance in the world you ever want to watch 10 episodes on that. Oh man, you could do it. You could do it. You just like the hype going into the Olympics and like the Americans being the giant. Things started to fall apart. Would have been great. Would have been great. Uh, like I 50 said, I'd watch po- it, but I, I couldn't do couldn't do 10. 50.9, so pretty tepid response on it, though. Okay, um, the life story of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 52. Disappointing. It Very is disappointing. disappointing. But you know what? It's, it's, that's the reason why they need to do it. Because that many people don't recognize how incredible his life you know, his life story is. From you know growing up the way he grew up, you know the era that he grew up in, the area that he grew up in, you know the dominance at Power High School. You know I, I already I already did this last week, but you know and, and on down the line, um, it's a shame that folks don't you know don't don't truly acknowledge or and it's not their fault they don't realize or recognize or just know, uh, you know how great of an of a human being, let alone basketball player, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is. Yeah, and I mean shouts to at Montreal Mark Mark Griffin, great guy. Um, mm-hmm. Who, who was making the case, too. He was like, you know, from being a recluse to writing, like, detective novels to, mm-hmm. like, getting involved in politics to, like, being the best player in basketball, being the only player who was the best player in basketball the second they stepped on the court. I mean, it, it would be good. I, I think it would be great. And, and people don't know who he is. And, but I, I, I'm, I, I thought people did cream dirty here. You don't have a lot of Lakers fans like in your like in your usual mix, and I'm not like criticizing. I'm saying Lakers fans would have come through on that one, <laughs> but yeah, outside of outside ah, of LA, man, you I, tweeted it too. You tweeted it too, huh? Yeah, no, no, but you know what I mean. Like outside of outside of Lakers fans, specifically because he hasn't been you know shown anywhere near the love and appreciation that he should have been. I don't know that a lot of folks really you know really know all that much about him. Yeah, we need like a there. There is like, and this has been stated many times. I'm I'm not even being facetious, but like the heightism thing in basketball. Yes, yes. Like we, we don't identify with the bigs, so we are less you know less prone to, unless they have like huge personalities like Shaq or like KG. We're less prone to show them the love that they deserve. I I, I honestly think it's fascinating because it's not like yeah. Kareem, like Russell and Wilt were removed even yes. even in the Jordan years, but like. Kareem wasn't removed. Like Jordan, like Kareem was still winning MVPs when Jordan came in the league, mm-hmm. and for for him not to get a mention yet, I don't think he's been mentioned. But Magic and Bird, excuse me, have been mentioned so many times, and it's like it, it's interesting. And again, I think it Shaq's is. the greatest Finals performer ever. Uh, you know, they're people who rock with Hakeem, but like something with Bigs, man, they just they just don't get the love. They don't sell the shoes. They don't get that icon status. So, um, it's unfortunate. The next one was the Spurs. Like the, um, oh, this was the other note I had on last dance. So, well, the Spurs got fifty nine point six. A like, look into the consistent greatness on like Greg Popovich, Tim Duncan, and how this you know basketball factory worked. But um, so people weren't super interested in this idea. However, I do think, and I've I've gone on a rant about this before. Greg Popovich deciding to deal Dennis Rodman to the Bulls uh-huh. because mm-hmm. he couldn't. 
level with the dude because they couldn't make a relationship happen because they couldn't get to like the meat of whatever the issue was is like an all-time bozo move they mm-hmm. never takes enough heat for and directly like it's, it's been made clear in this documentary even by michael jordan himself like they are not three-peating without dennis like maybe they win another one but like he was a key key factor and then 20 years later and we are still one day going to find out what actually happened with Kawhi leonard behind closed doors because something mm-hmm. did happen and it, and it seems sort of like the same idea. You know, Kawhi and Pop reached some sort of an impasse and Pop traded him away for DeMar DeRozan. That's, those are two pretty big footnotes in history that don't get talked about enough that directly led to titles. You know, to that point, and while I don't want to see 10, in, 10 episodes on, on the Spurs, I'm glad that you tied that together because I think that's really a testament just to you know how great Duncan was and how unique his willingness to be coached, specifically in the manner you know, that, that permitted Pop to coach him. You know, like that, that's, that's extremely unique. You know, for a guy that is a top 10 you know, range of all time guy, it's just it, it's kind of unheard of. Um, so, yeah, no. And, and quite frankly, I think that. Uh, and we've you know we've discussed and agreed upon this. I think it's uh it, it's more. I think we have underrated the greatness of of Tim Duncan, not just on the court but off the court as well. I Being agree able to too. keep that together. I one one hundred percent agree, and and it's something that like I reflect on fairly often. Yep. Just like San Antonio's kind of gone to shit by their standards, not yep. to like by not by the Knicks or the Kings standards, but by by the Spurs standards. Like things have really fallen apart, and I think. So much of the credit for stability and consistency and leadership went to Popovich, and you know it's it's looking quite clearly like it should have gone to Duncan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and it's a big factor. It's a big factor. Um, the next one was the seven seconds or less Suns, hmm. and it got a sixty point eight. Okay, so first I'm gonna be honest with you. I was like, hell no, I don't want to see you know ten episodes and on that only because you know what? Honestly, I saw it mainly as a story about those Day and Tony you know Suns. But then I thought about it, and I realized, you know, ESPN could really also tie the adjustments the league made, and this is this was kind of in your you know, in your setup with the question. They can tie in all the adjustments the league way, you know made, as well as kind of like the simultaneous influx of more and more European talent that took place at the same time. Uh, obviously, where the you know that style of play was already popular, and if they branched it out and 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 kind of you know didn't just make it about that seven seconds or less, I might be into I might be into a full ten parter for you. Um, shouts to underscore at Anthony Nash who gave me the addition for the form. And, mm. you know, I, I think this would be good too. Um, I, I think, one, I think there's so many little subplots which really make these docs. Like, talk about the Nash MVPs. Talk about Nash leaving Dallas. And uh, talk about Man- D'Antoni, you know, revitalizing the franchise and the, the change in offense that it led to for the league. Talk about, you know, uh, Nash getting those MVPs over Kobe. Talk about, like, there's so many fun things you could talk about there. And and uh, I, I don't know, I'd be into it. Yeah, he was talk, certainly given those, yeah. Talk about how many times the Suns got... <laughs> talk about how many times the Suns got hosed by the Spurs, by Amari's knees. Stay, stay, um, on, stay on the bench. Yeah. Wow, sounds sounded petty. Send a big oh. time petty. Send oh, a hi. Petty. Excuse me. My name is Jabari Davis. You haven't met me, clearly. <laughs> um, okay, number five. And this is the one I don't get. And people kept – I had an option at the end of the forum for people to write in. And, like, in the first, like, 100 people who answered this thing, I got it, like, 10 times. So I added it in. Malice at the Palace. I don't know how you do 10 good episodes on Malice at the Palace. And it got a 62.6. 
the I'll be honest with you, you can't get to ten. You might yeah. be able to get to two or three if you extend it to how it impacted the league from an optic standpoint. You know, particularly how you know the late and great David Stern, you know, handled the dress code policy and certainly some of the marketing, you know, following that situation. Uh, but there's no chance you can get to ten. So you know, I I get people like liking the sensational story, and you know, it, of course, it would be exciting as just a you know a, a thirty for thirty, but um, you know. Unless, yeah, really, even if you even if you broke it out to those other things that I just mentioned, you, you're only getting two, three episodes out of that. You know how it's like you sometimes you just remember you're you're watching a game, you're talking about someone, some something jogs your mem- jogs your memory about some moment in basketball, and then mm-hmm. you go to the timeline, and you're like, remember that moment? And you have a nice little interaction with people who also love ball, and, you know, pe- people remember that moment. The problem is now ESPN, Bleach Report, all these places at like all these little highlight accounts, whatever. It's like every year it's like this is the date that was Malice, mm-hmm. the palace. And then every other day there's like, oh, y'all don't remember Ben Wallace. He was yeah. so bad. And it's just like it, it's kind of taken away from it for like I feel like the last anniversary of Malice at the Palace. I watched the video again and I was like, man, I've seen this so many times now. It doesn't even feel like. Oh yeah! Wow! Like it, there's not enough time in between talking about it to, for it to even jog your memory, and that whole what fight brawl situation takes place over the course of what like fourteen minutes. Yeah. So I, 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 I one hundred percent hear you. Yeah. Like to be honest with you, like in in actually that point, I'm glad you made it. That's the reason why you you, you wouldn't even get two to three episodes out of it. Like you can talk, really, it's just a one episode deal. You talk about the brawl, and then you you talk about how it impacted all you know everybody else. Um, yeah, no, no, I I, I do. You no, know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I do agree about like the reminders where where I like them and I appreciate. Oh, hey, you know that's the reminder of that. It it leaves it to where it's it's always kind of like on your mind. So it's not you know so like by the time the, you know, it comes around you know the following year you're just like oh yeah you know yeah I remember that. It's like so. Kobe's. It's like Kobe's eighty-one too. Like every year, like when we get to Kobe's eighty-one, there's mm-hmm. like every account trying to like make a joke on Jalen Rose and post some highlights. The same jokes. And it's like Kobe's eighty-one is gonna bang more if I haven't seen it in three years. I'm like, man, he was bad that game. But it, it just it feels like I we just talked about it and then it rolls around. Maybe you know, it's getting old. But I, I actually agree with that too. And I think that they should instead of doing focusing on Kobe's eighty-one, they really should be focusing on the sixty-two that he put up. You know, on Dallas for three quarters. <laughs> That's really what they should be focusing on. I I also was like, you agree with me on this? <laughs> I do agree with you. But I, I, had, I walked but into I also that. Have to, I also had to do that. I do yeah. agree with you though. Um. Number four was uh, like a ten-part Magic Larry, um, their rivalry saving the league doc, which would have been like my number two. I thought I thought this would be awesome. I would love to see this. I wasn't around for it. You can only read so many books, articles, etc. Bring in Jackie McMullen, who who wrote the book on these two. Um, you know, have her consult. Do the ten episodes. I know that HBO is doing like a. a f- you know, historical fiction showtime mm-hmm. show or whatever, but like I don't think that's they can fill different voids. Yeah, I okay, so here here's what the only part that we disagree on because yes, one hundred percent I'm all in, give it to me, inject it directly into my veins right now. I absolutely do not want um the it's solely from Jackie Mack's perspective. I do not. Like I, I get that a lot of people believe that she's a, a fine, you know, storyteller and I respect the hell out of the work that she's done. I'm not interested in 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 that tone being, you know, being the basis of it. 
quite frankly, it's not. I don't have a problem if she's a part of a panel, uh, but I prefer to have you know a panel of folks you know that in, you know, that consists of uh, their contemporaries, them that, you know like those two players themselves, uh, and a host of folks that covered the league across from both coasts. You know what I'm saying? Not just somebody you know for you know from a Boston perspective. Yeah, I mean. Jackie rubbed you the wrong way once upon a time. Eh? Took she a certainly did. Bird, but bird, I, but, bird but head. Her. But, but the, the thing is, like, I like as a consultant, bring her in as a consultant, not as like the executive director, producer, right? Just, just as a consultant. That's all I say. Bring a few. Yeah. Bring, let's have a party. Not you know, you know, not just a solo, you know, solo gig. Um. So the third, the third, uh, number three. So the idea that came in third. Wow. Doing well here. Um, 67.8. Uh, Ten years from now, doing a retrospective on the Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and later Kevin Durant Warriors. Hell yes. Once again, you inject this one right next to you, know, right next to the magic one. You know, from Honestly, you can go from the development years under Mark Jackson you know, to all the craziness that went on surrounding his departure, which I'm hoping to see. Uh, obviously, Curry's immediate impact, um, you know, how Steph's previously injury-riddled seasons kind of led to his contract being just franchise-friendly enough to continue to put quality pieces around him. You know, like, honestly, there, there are so many things before you even get to the turmoil, before you even get to the, you know, the, the crazy, the turmoil with, you know, Draymond and, 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 um, and Katie and all of that stuff, uh, that I do think you can get a 10-parter out of this. I hope they have some film of Mark Jackson praying over Curry's ankle. Please do well. I, I just I hope um, you know what I was watching that one another thing that came to my mind watching last dance was you know compared to playing with with uh, Jordan and Dennis Rodman talking down Draymond Green is probably mm. not all that strenuous for Steve Kerr I was, yeah. I was that really probably prepped him for for what he was dealing with if you think about it Kerr really only has a problem with him taking threes like everything else he loves about him he like he loves what he brings from an intensity standpoint. He even he even makes excuses for him, or or, or tended to make excuses for him when he would get out of control, and then all of a sudden it would be okay. Draymond, slow it down, slow it down, slow it down. Why are you going out of control every time? You know, like you know, like every time down the court if it's not working. Uh, he even makes excuses for that. But really, the only time I ever saw him truly take you know take umbrage with something that Draymond did it was when he kept on firing up those corner threes that in in in, in that one stretch. That really that really did do a number. Yeah. Um, the final two, so the, the the biggest hitters, the Miami Heat big three, mm. rise and fall, uh, 69.5. Tough crowd that that was the second highest. Like, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. That that would not have been on my in my top five. It's, it's, it's interesting, though. Like, people, like, some of them, you know, it's like 90-99 because I can see their whole ballot. I can't see who. I didn't take emails. Oh, okay. But it will be like 90-90, 85-84-1. It's like, oh wow, you really like whatever team they didn't like or player they didn't like. It was yeah, just very just clear one. That's it. Yeah. Look, hey, look. I, this is another one of those ones where I would thoroughly enjoy two to three episodes. Uh, I don't think that you could you know break it out into ten episodes, but I could be wrong. Oh, um, huh? Disagree. Disagree. Oh, yeah. You've got four. You've got four years plus. You know whatever you want to do to lead into it and close it off. Pretty that, much. That's that's a lot of film, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, but, but but okay, so it's a lot of film, but I'm talking about film that I'd be interested in watching for 10 episodes. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I would be very interested in this this one. Um, you know I'd watch it. I'm just saying <laughs> if I had to choose, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be one of my first choices. 
Um, and the, I mean, I think I might be more interested in though, and I, a LeBron retrospective. Just yes. give me, like LeBron's career ten years from now or fifteen years from now, like whenever he's retired and people can talk on it, speak on it. Um, that you know, that's going to bang too. It's going to be, it's going to be Jordan level. Um, one of the notes, just quickly in response to that, one of the notes I had down here was, unless you also added in LeBron's eventual departure, you know, his success in Cleveland, and kind of like his whole story. So, yes, I agree with you. Yeah, like Le- LeBron's career retrospective is going to be 100, though. It's just going to be yeah, like, it's just going to be. And, and I do kind of, I, I really like the flashbacks here for Last Dance mm-hmm. because I, I wanted the career. And I, I almost wish like we had a little bit more time at UNC. I wish I, I'm hoping we're still getting to get more of the relationship with him and his dad. And I'm guessing that's raw. I'm guessing Mike's not gonna give more there than he has to. But um, I mean that that plays pretty big. Um, it it has to be coming up. Yeah. Like it, it, they're they're doing it chronologically essentially you know, with are, all the yeah. flashbacks. So it has to be coming up. I think he he got a mention um, today. In, in three or four, he mentioned mm-hmm. his dad. But that's the first time we really um, had it come up. So, anyway, uh, back to this. The last one, and by far the one people are most interested, Kobe and Shaq, oh, yeah. retrospective. Um, eight years together? Yeah, 96 yeah. to 2004. Uh, 76.5. So, just about everybody is into the Kobe-Shaq retrospective, which I think would be great. Although, it does, I almost think, wait, now. You know, if Kobe had been here to, to do the interview and uh, comment on it, it might have been, like, pu- push the envelope on it, get it out following the success for next year. But I, I just, I think you wait now. I think, you know, there's been so much Kobe this year. And I think without him, you know, people are in a different place mindset with him. To do this right and to, to take it all in, have people be able to reflect with anything other than grief, you need to give this some time to... To, to air out. So the reason why I disagree with this is because, I mean, and obviously you know this, these docs take two, three years, sometimes four or five years to put together. I think the time is now. You start working on it now while the feelings are fresh with everybody else, get those interviews out the way, and it's, you, you don't have to rush it out. You you know, you don't put it out next year. You put it out in 2022 or 2023, and by then, we're all uh, chomping at the bit for it. And, like, I, I don't want this to be interpreted in, like, a, a gross way, and I don't mean it as such, but, like, Kobe's story is very complicated. Yes, and And you and I have talked about it, and I don't want all of the interviews done in the lens of I'm missing Kobe, you know? Like, I, I want people to, like, have dealt with those feelings, the people who are close to that, and to be able to reflect on, on, on the years, 96 to 04, with with less of a, a buzzy head. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, I, I actually completely understand where you're coming from. I just think that that can be accomplished because over the next year and a half is where those interviews will be coming. Like, if the, if you were doing every interview, like, in the end next of January months, or February, yeah. yeah, that would be a problem. That would be a problem. But no, no I, I hear you. Um, I hope they don't wait because I'm going to, like, this is going to sound morbid. We didn't expect Kobe, you know, like, to be gone. That's Not true. that you know what I'm saying. Like I, yeah. I don't, I don't want to wait because of that. Now it is going to be like it, even when they do it, though, it'll be like surreal. Like you know, you, they keep yeah. cutting back to Jordan in the chair with the scotch, mm-hmm. and like to not be able to do that with Kobe. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be, and I guess you got to do it now, man. Like, yeah, not to be morbid, but like, yeah, Phil's getting old, man. Yeah, like, yeah, you're you're not wrong. Yeah, no, um, get this get this going, guys. Get this going right now. 
Okay, so some of the write-in ideas. I'll just list a few. Uh, Rise and Fall of Allen Iverson. Okay. LeBron, LeBron, LeBron. Journey of Dirk. Wilt. Um, <laughs> how about just one hour, please, God, please, on Chris Paul, David Stern, and basketball reasons? Uh, <laughs> I don't need it, but yeah, I, it would be entertaining. <laughs> how the Kings were robbed of a title. How the Mavs were rigged against. Um, <laughs> that made it, might have been me. I don't know. Um, and... Uh, the oral history of Knicks basketball. Oh, you know I'm good, man. I'm I'm good. I'm, We've got way more content on the Knicks, given what they've accomplished than we'll ever need. Knicks fans are gonna hate us both. I'm a hundred percent good. No thanks. What do I want to know about the Knicks that I haven't already seen? Hey, look, if if the I want to watch, titles. if I want to watch, uh, you know, Black Jesus and, and Walt Frazier highlights, I can just go to YouTube. That's cool. You should hear. You should hear how, like, again, like the guys I play basketball with. A lot of them are like your age. They're like quite a bit older than me. Yeah. And they they live and die and swear on these '90s Knicks teams. And they talk about John Starks like he's Kawhi oh, Leonard. Come on. They, they 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 make it out to be like those teams. Like Patrick Ewing is like the tenth best center of all time. Maybe he's like the fifth best center of his generation. And the Ewing uh, theory is about him, his team being better without him. And and the way they talk about Ewing and John Starks, I swear to God, it's like they're Will Chamberlain and Kawhi Leonard. Like that is how these guys. That's they weren't that man. So with, let let me just say this: let us not, let us not place Patrick Ewing and John Starks in the same conversation, in the same sentence, in this conversation. No, but those are the two guys that always get talked about, man. Yeah, it's no, like, no. Patrick Ewing. I will say this: if he didn't play at the same time as Michael Jordan. I, I genuinely believe that the way that we look at him is, is significantly different. Patrick Ewing was great. Yeah, he, he was legitimately great. John Starks was cool. Like, John Starks, if you're a Knicks fan, you love him because he's your scrappy guy that, you know, you know get hit threes and, you know, do, you know, do a couple things. But Sometimes. Nobody was – exactly. You know, we're not talking about game sevens. Um, yeah. yeah, man, Knicks fans are going to really hate us. But, like, really outside of outside of Knicks fans, nobody's, look, nobody's checking for John Starks like that. No, no, no. No, no, no. And uh, yeah, just and I mean like Patrick Ewing was great. I'm not trying to yeah. put too much dirt on his name, but like he still wasn't better than Hakeem. No. He wasn't better than Shaq. He wasn't better than David Robinson. So like maybe then, he was then he was three of the all time great centers. I get it. <laughs> I know, but they all played at the same time as him. Yeah, you know, it's not just Jordan. Like yeah, maybe he was he's better than Alonzo Mourning. So he's like the fourth best gener- center of his like generation, I guess. Which is which is really nice, especially since like yeah the, yeah it's the 80s it's, were tough re- it's really nice. It's not it's just not you know yeah. I got um, you. Gilbert Arenas, OKC, Hakeem, um, deeper inside look at the 0405 Pistons and what made them so great. Spurs fallout with Kawhi. Don't have Jackie Mack do anything with Larry Bird. Have Lazensby and Magic Bird themselves. Someone said that was um, me. Was that you? <laughs> What's that you? That was absolutely me. Uh, Greg Odin, Sebastian Telfair, Anthony Bennett, and now Zion. I'm going to have to... Oh, I stop it. I can't ask for clarification on that one, but... Nope. That's interesting. We're not doing that. Um, a retrospective on the expansion drafts, which would be really interesting for me, but I don't think that would work outside of nerd Twitter. No. Um, Raptors franchise history, sure. Dr. Neck, J, Neckbeard ABA, Twitter would NBA. love that, but no. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, like, let's just do it. LeBron versus MJ, ten part doc interview. Everyone, you know what? Let's do that. 
Like, I, I'd watch it. I would absolutely watch it. <laughs> as much trash as I talk about those stupid debates, I'd absolutely watch every part of it and tweet about it nonstop. Please let me consult on that doc. That ten, If you're listening and you're going to be the one who creates the 10-part LeBron James versus Michael Jordan doc, please, you don't have to let me be on camera. You don't have to let me speak. But just let me, like, throw out some numbers and some questions to really rock the boat on both sides and get the best content out of everyone. That's, Matter of fact, I want... I want Numbers nerds versus old heads, yeah. <laughs> battling back and forth, <laughs> battling back and forth, debating and then playing against one another. No, you, you you're just not hearing me. His PIPM exactly. is seven points higher per forty eight <laughs> possessions when he eats vegetables on Tuesday. Boy, I don't no, no, no. That. I see it. I, I can yeah. see with my eyes. The eyeball test tells you this. A real hooper would know. A real hooper. A real would hooper would know. A real hooper with you know with with a bull with the with the with the, the the smoke coming out of his nose. Real hoopers know the deal. Yeah, yeah. No, just both just both of the worst extremes. Yes. Locked in a room, uh, <laughs> for ten hours. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm into it. I'm into. It. That's the best idea yet. Um, let's to wrap up our show. Let's talk about Amazon Prime's Hunters. Absolutely. Uh, great show. But before we do that. Uh, with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they are bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. So a couple weeks back, not even a couple weeks, a couple episodes back, we are talking about shows that we're binging. And you mentioned Hunters, and I was reluctant to start this show because I felt like the hyperbolic setting and tone of the show was going to be like a little bit too much for me given how bleak the world is. Mm-hmm. But I did enjoy it. Right up until the finale where I'm very mixed. So mm-hmm. um, <laughs> let, let's start at the top. Uh, early season versus late season. So if you haven't watched it, we are going to spoil some things. This is your warning to go watch Hunters on Prime. We're not going to spare your feelings. We're going to talk about it. Because this, this at the end, the, the storyline twists. Anyway, so in the early season, um, we have Logan Lerman. His, his grandma is murdered. He gets dragged into this uh, group of, I don't, not just Jews, but individuals who are hunting Nazis who have infiltrated America as high as the White House um, and were brought over in large part by the American government following World War II to help with science programs, including NASA. That part is true, by the way. I looked that up. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, what a, that's crazy. Huh. <laughs> that is a re- The American government brought over Nazis to speed up the science department and potentially, like, combat a war with with the U.S. They essentially said, hey, you guys are pretty good at this. Want to help? That was pretty much... Because I had to look it up as I'm watching this because there are some pretty, like... There's some pretty big scenes in this show. Very Mm -hmm. memorable scenes. And I... I, More than once during the show, probably more than any show in recent memory, I was like, is this true? Did Mm -hmm. this happen? Um, For example, there is a scene... Which um, I think a lot of people took offense to, where Nazi officers are making uh, Jewish Holocaust prisoners play a game of real life chess, where mm-hmm. they like like Harry Potter wizard chess, mm-hmm. but like with Jews at a camp. 
and um, <laughs> like while a powerful scene and like pretty crazy beautiful twisted from a TV shock value um, perspective definitely ruffled some feathers and I, I had to google it I was like this can't this can't have happened which it didn't and uh, I yeah. mean like okay so this is the thing if, if you're entering I'm speaking generally I know that you didn't if you're entering this thinking like this is a historical you know this is you know historical content that's probably the wrong way to go about it it, it stars Al Pacino yelling just like he always does and you know so it's you know like it, it, it's got some you know, facts in there but it's very much dramatized yeah, I mean, it's historical fiction, but it's mostly fiction. Yes. But there's enough historical truth in it that, like, that's why I had to keep Googling. Yeah. Because I was like, I think I, I think this might have happened. And so anyways, um, the, the Holocaust, I'm going to screw this up, Survivors Association, uh, people in the interest of, of, you know, preserving the truth and mm-hmm. uh, making sure that sort of atrocity doesn't happen again, did not like that scene and felt like you don't need to over dramatize the terrible things that already happened there so I, I think that's important to note before we get into the rest of the show so for instance i get that because i hated Django for a lot of the same things that like you know slavery was terrible and as was as is we didn't you know i didn't need quentin tarantino uh you know making a um i'm not gonna make a crude reference here <laughs> but i'll say you know make you know ma- making his jollies off of a you know off of that you know situation so I get it. Yeah, and, and fair enough. Um, but I, I I think the initial premise was was quite interesting. So oh, his yeah. grandmother's killed. It turns out she's part of this collective that are hunting these Nazis that are in the states. Um, obviously, there's there's the typical TV drama. His mom died when he was young. He's been grandma raised him. Doesn't know who his grandpa is. Uh, oh, who is this old guy running the group? Al Pacino. Oh, and he had a, a thing with his grandma way back in the day. So you kind of know where that was going. Mm-hmm. And then they throw you for a loop later in the series. But the first four episodes, I was very intrigued. I liked the hunting of the Nazis. I, there's enough funny characters in there. I really like Joe. I'm going to have to look up um, who plays him. But but I was, I was very hooked. And then it kind of took a turn. I mean, yeah. Remember, I did mention when we when we spoke about this the first time around episode five or six, it kind of dipped a little bit because they took some chances and they threw some stuff in there where it was like, okay, that's interesting. Uh, but I, I I do feel that like they tied it together well enough, except for at the very end, which I'm sure you're going to get to. Yeah, we're going to get to. So the flashbacks are great. I thought like I, I love the backstory of of both. Well. Of El Pacino's characters mm-hmm. um, and his grandma's characters, and like the camps, and like some of the terrible things that, that had happened there. And I think it shines a pretty crazy light. And, and rather than the chess scene and some of the over dramatized scenes, the uh, Murray Markowitz and Mindy Markowitz, played by Saul Rubinek mm-hmm. and Carol Kane, um, there's a scene where they're, they're getting taken to the camp. They're getting pulled apart as they enter the camp. Women go one way, men go the other way. And Murray Markowitz is, is holding his young son, son Aaron. And when he refuses to let go of the son, a, a German officer mm. uh, moves him and shoots the kid. And it, it that was a hard scene to watch, man. Um, there's a, like... Anytime, like, anytime yeah, a kid ahead. is anytime a kid is killed, sorry. Like, that, that's difficult. But that was just like soul-crushing. 
Yeah, and there's there's not a ton of scenes that just rip you up inside like that anymore in television because writers have gone very hard out of their way to like do whatever they can to make you feel as you become desensitized to, to television. But like, it wasn't just that he shot the kid; it was just like the being the father of this kid and not being able to protect him and not being in control and maybe that resonated so well because of how little control we all have over like the pandemic going on right now not to compare the holocaust and the pandemic that's not what i'm doing but i think you know when you're in a situation like we are currently where you don't have control it's easy to see how hard that could be on top of obviously the atrocity that's been committed um that 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 scene really cut me for sure and you know for folks that have not seen the scene yet I can you know, what I can compare it to is remember back in tra- in a crash, which is actually a trash movie in retrospect, but you know we all loved it back in the day. Uh, the scene where the locksmith and the you know the, the 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 store owner confronts him in front of the house, and he you know it ends up looking initially like he shot the little girl, uh, but it, of course we find out after the fact they were blanks in the gun. It it's like that scene except for the little kid did get shot. <laughs> Like, like that, all of that pain, all of that, you know, this angst that you're feeling and you're like that, that rushes to your heart. And then you realize, oh, no, no, he really did cap that little kid. I, I like that poll. I'm going to go. I'm going to I'm going to go one, too. This is the worst kid death I've ever seen TV movie since G-Baby in Hardball. Oh, I was like, G-Baby, why do I know that name? Yes. Yeah. 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 Why do you know G-Baby who has like eight lines in the whole movie? Because when he looks over and that bullet's in G baby, mm-hmm. man, I, I've watched that movie at like twelve, I think, and I hysterically, hysterically bald when I saw that the G baby took that bullet. But yeah, it was it was like that. I, I was uh, like twenty two and it's like, oh come on, dog. Like I didn't I didn't hysterically cry, but I was like, oh come on, man, not G baby. I I was <laughs> I was just devastated, oh. devastated that G baby died. Um, and that was way before John Wick was was killing people. So yeah, shout um, out to Keanu. Shout out to Keanu. <laughs> shout out to the Canadians. Uh, always, always, always. One thing I didn't like: flashbacks, mostly good. The satire joke clips lost me all the time. I was like, "What are we doing here?" And there's like these two little, there's little like commercials every other episode, every episode. I don't know, like they're two or three minutes, and they're they're like heavy satire, you know, po- poking at how ridiculous some of these situations are and while the point is noted i they didn't sit great with me and that is that's exactly what i meant you know leading into it where like they took some chances that i just didn't quite understand in those middle episodes in particular uh it, what i can compare it to is for those folks that watched six feet under back in the day in that first season of six feet under they made a lot they had a lot of like cutaway commercials and you know, you know satirical commercials just like that to where i was like okay i get it alan ball you know the creator writer and all of that of you know, you know six feet under i get it but this is just not great so please stop doing it and they were smart enough to stop doing it you know uh, moving forward I, I i don't like these because i feel like it yeah it like cheapens the experience. It. Like you expect better from you know from the yeah, and and it's like, I get how serious the stakes are. I understand how horrible these atrocities were. I don't need this over the top, bad SNL yeah. mid drama to to drive it home. We're good. Um, okay, so I think episode six was quite good, um, which is kind of like kind of like Game of Thrones. It's the finale is not the penultimate episode. Mm-hmm. Where they have the chase, the weapon. Um, although I don't really understand how uh, Ted from whatever that sitcom was that was worse than Friends that people liked. 
what's his character's name? Josh Radner. <laughs> got it. Get, he gets stabbed. He gets stabbed, and then he's like, oh, I'm like, oh, man, he got caught. He, got, he gets stabbed in, like, a C-train station, and then mm-hmm. the next episode, he's just fine. No he's just bandages, good. He's just nothing. He's yeah. just, like, nothing. And then the, he even, he kind of, like, pokes at it. He's like, yeah, I'm fine, everyone. Thanks. I'm like, dude, he, this, like, professional psychopathic Nazi killer gutted you like a fish and you just like we're not going to talk about it like nothing yeah and, and left him there and wasn't wasn't the uh, wasn't that platform empty when he was left there no it wasn't empty there were like people walking around but oh, it was like were? dark because okay. the power had dropped and it was like a riot got it and people got were it, like walking it. over him as he's bleeding out on the dirty con- New York concrete but um, like okay uh, that was a weird that was a weird I don't know but then mess up then but again, other than that, it was good. Then again, honestly, if if we're you know, <laughs> if if we're gonna nitpick about that, there were some other stuff. There's there's some other stuff that's specifically coming up where it's like, yeah, come on, guys, <laughs> come on. Okay, well that 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 just bugged me. That's just like a plot hole. Yeah. But okay, so then we get to the finale, and it's kind of like, so Hunters hasn't been renewed yet for season two, mm-hmm. and they did that thing where they killed off the most polarizing person in the story, which is Al Pacino. Um, the spoilers. biggest name in the story. Yeah, spoiler. <laughs> I told you they were no, coming. No, I, I know. But it turns out that Al Pacino isn't actually Logan Lerman's grandfather. And in fact, he is the Nazi who tortured the grandfather and the grandmother mm-hmm. and escaped prison and killed the grandfather and then spent every money, every dollar he had, every money, <laughs> every dollar he had to get extreme plastic surgery, which he then used to look sort of like his grandfather and then took his identity and then became a millionaire successful Jew in the States. And none of the Jews that knew him in the past noticed the difference. And none of the Nazis who knew him in the past noticed the difference. Remember this taking place in the 70s. And then it's just kind of like a conversation before Logan Lerman kills him. And I just like, what? It, it, was, it was way too much. I was like, this is... The most ridiculous leap I've seen on a show in a minute. So I was at on the opposite end of that. I liked that twist. I really? Felt that, I felt that way about the second twist. I was like, what the oh. hell is this? Stop this. <laughs> stop this. And of course the episode and the season ended on it. But stop this. <laughs> okay, so this was twist one. So twist one was uh, Logan Lerman doesn't kill the psychopath. Nazi when he has the chance, even though that guy like gunned down his friend and Al Pacino had been pushing him to like, don't don't hesitate with these people. They're pure evil. Oh, then it, I didn't see that as a twist, but I got you. Okay. Yeah. So then, so then Logan Logan goes and he he tries to like redeem himself, which is when we find out the Al Pacino twist. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing is like the Al Pacino, this sadistic doctor who made the main characters actual grandfather and it is getting confusing to explain our podcast kill 11 people in cold blood having the change of heart was also like oh so after he ran a concentration camp yeah and made people gun down people and then killed that guy and took his identity then he had a change of heart and started hunting nazis now he's like oh my bad guys you know, you know what that might have been a little bit extreme yeah and it, you know what my bad yeah my, my i've seen the light I've seen the light. Like, oh, come on, man. It it wasn't even like the plastic surgery I could have maybe believed if there was some sort of reason for for his turnaround that made any sense to me. And and they had it. It could have been the the whole reason that it's portrayed that the wolf, as he was known, Mm -hmm. 
picked on the grandfather was because he kind of had an interest in the grandmother who rejected him. That's sort of what they allude to in like episode two is yep. my rejection of him staring at the other guy sort of led to hell for him. Yeah. If it had been that he wanted to be with the grandmother and then through being with this grandmother who was everyone's favorite person, he realized all of the terrible deeds. I might have been able to like reconcile the change of heart, but like I had a really hard time figuring it out. I was like, eh, but Josh, not you, buying it. even then they didn't even have to go there. They could have simply made it. He was he wanted to specifically exterminate all the other former Nazis, so none of them could tell on him, so none of them could reveal the you know like the, the real person that he was. They could have gone with that angle. That's true. That's even way simpler. Yeah, I wouldn't have liked it as much, but yeah, that would have been better. To any real justification other than after I slaughtered thousands of people in a concentration camp and played sadistic games where I tortured people and then killed that guy and then stole his identity, then I had a change of heart. Yeah. Like, nah. Yeah. Okay. So that's twist one, and then you're thinking, okay, this is gonna end, um, because the the antagonist for our main character for Logan Lerman, who's played by Greg Austin, um, and his character's name's Travis Leach, is in jail because Logan doesn't kill him. FBI agent takes him away. He goes to jail, and it's kind of setting up the next season. Is like, okay, we've got you know Logan taking over the hunters, and we've got this Travis guy, and he's making. He's like basically recruiting white supremacists in jail. Uh, what's the Edward Norton movie? Sorry, we referenced it last week. It's uh, American History X. And j- just to clarify, Logan Lerman is the is the actor's name. Jonah is his character's name. Sorry, yeah, Jonah. So, I got you. so Logan Lerman's. So Jonah, he's going to lead the hunters. He's going to hunt more Nazis. Travis, who's like his arch enemy, is in prison, and he's recruiting white supremacists. And okay, we've got a next season probably going on. We're good. Then we, we find out Joe, who is played by Louis Ozawa, and he's like the badass of the group. He was in them. Uh, he's somehow been captured. And for whatever reason, he's been like, looks like he's been captured a little bit, tortured a little bit. All of a sudden, we're in Argentina. He's getting dragged. He gets put in a car. He goes to a car. The Colonel, who's played by, uh, I don't know. Lena Olin. Lena Olin. famous actress. Yeah. Okay, um, is actually alive. She didn't die. Okay, okay. Is that our big twist? No, there's someone else at this house. Who is at this house? The colonel is, you know, setting up dinner, and Joe is at dinner with four um, superior race, perfect blonde children, and out walks old Adolf Hitler. And I, I was like, what? <laughs> like, I, that is more believable to me than the prior plot twist. However, I was just like, what is Adolf? <laughs> Dog, I was like, okay, whether it's believable or not, get the hell, get all the way to hell out of here with this. And where are y'all going with this? Like, how are we going to enter season two with Adolf Hitler being alive and you know and kicking? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. And then the colonel's his wife. Yeah, so the, yeah. Who looks like twenty years younger than him? Mm-hmm. But I, mean, I don't you know. know what, that's, that's I don't know. Possible. Okay, so but then so it's like okay, so season two we've got. Logan, or we've got Jonah versus Travis, white supremacist hunters, but we've also got Adolf Hitler in Argentina <laughs> up to something. And then there's like this nun who's part of their group. Oh, yeah. Um, Sister Harriet, played by Kate Mulvaney. Mm-hmm. And she's got some sort of like a secret double agent thing going on. And she's all on the phone in between Hitler and like the plastic surgery 
passing of the torch, and she's on the phone with someone, and he's like, oh, they're getting closer. Oh, is he going to be a problem? I don't know. How's the boy? You'll meet him soon. Hey, there's eight top lieutenants of Hitler living in Europe. We should start hunting there because the FBI is going to start looking for us here. So I'm like, okay, is season two going to follow the race war between Travis and Jonah? Is Jonah going to go to Europe and hunt these eight, like, random Hitler lieutenants? Or is Hitler going to get involved down in Argentina? And if, if Hitler's down in Argentina, why are his eight lieutenants hanging out in Venice? Like, I, I, it just went so many directions. And so I was reading, and, like, the, the visionary of the project, he... he thinks that this is, should be a five-season show. Interesting. But it hasn't been renewed yet. It'd be pretty hard to bring back Al Pacino, but I won't, won't rule it out since we have Al, we have Hitler now. Yeah, may, may, um, maybe Hitler's Al Pacino. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe there was a, even more plastic surgery. I don't know. But it was like a very intriguing show, yeah. and it was, it was tough to stop watching. And then the last episode was just like, it was like every kid grabbed a spool of thread and ran in a different direction. Yep. It was just woof. Like, like it, you can see that they were leaving themselves all types of angles. I get all the that. options. I yeah, I get it. They gave them, they left, left themselves with a ton of options. But they're, I, you know, I'm gonna need them to tie this together, it, as, like right away in season two. Like, like well, we, and we then can't and have then the dir- open, you know, this many open storylines. The director, the writer, the creator, somebody. I was reading a Q and A, and he was like, "Yeah, if season two gets greenlit, you know, Joe could be weaponized against the hunters." Okay, I'm like, I'm with it. What? He's they're gonna like torture mind control him? Like Adolf's gonna like that's gonna happen in Argentina, then he's gonna send him up to Europe Listen, to help his lieutenant. If, if Adolf is alive and kicking, I can believe <laughs> I can believe that Joe can be, you know, reprogrammed. We were one twist away from Adolf going back into the house after having dinner with his twenty five year his wife who didn't age since the end of Germany mm-hmm. and his four perfect blonde children going to bed and then him taking off his face and being an alien from just like the perfect perfect <laughs> just ending. because. Just, just like because. just layers on layers on layers. Like like a family guy scene of just like writers outdoing themselves. <laughs> Actually I'm a horse. Actually yeah. I'm a broom. Actually yeah, yeah I, I got that reference, the family guy reference. That's phenomenal. But that's gonna that's gonna do it for us this week. So this episode, our next episode is going to drop uh, Thursday morning. And thanks again for listening. If you haven't done this yet, please take a minute, take two minutes if you got it. Like, rate, subscribe, and write a review for the podcast. As we're brand new, this is episode seven. We're growing. Your reviews, your your recommendations. Uh, they mean the world. They all send us to where we want to be. So if you could take the time, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts, we'd appreciate it. And keep that feedback coming via Twitter, at Josh Everly and at Jabari Davis NBA.